0: Welcome! Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me is the man that makes the midfield engine run. It's our producer, Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? I'm good. Hopefully I can do a better job than uh, our boys in the Stars and Stripes. (laughs) And joining us from the St. Louis area is a man who always brings full intensity and urgency to every show, Sean Campbell.
1: Howdy! Just, I try but I can't always bring that verticality to this podcast.
0: Well, in the words of the immortal sacred bard Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. I can't say as I bring a bunch of verticality to the show either. Either in height or in movement. But it's a podcast, so how much movement do I need to do other than shuffle my notes? Yeah, this is a two short guys and a tall guy podcast. (laughs) Maybe we should rename it. (laughs) We are here today. We've got some St. Louis City news, a little bit on the Academy, a couple of other things going on. But really, the big elephant in the room is U.S. Men's National Team news. Not so much the first game, but the last game. But we'll unfortunately get to that shortly.
2: Really making a point with those papers there, huh? Um,
0: you did not see the Panama game. <laughs> Fair enough. If you did, you'd be shuffling papers nervously as well. Before we get to all that mess with the national team, we've got some news about St. Louis City. Not a lot, but it still keeps trickling in every week. And first of all, we'll start off with the Academy. Uh, They did do a trip through Ohio, had uh, two games for the U-17s, two friendly games for the under-16s as well. And uh, first of all, they went to play the Academy for Cincinnati. The U-17s took a 1-1 draw out of that one despite the fact that Cincinnati uh, did get a red card in the 32nd minute, but scored on the counter in the 48th, which, as we know, sometimes when the other team gets that early red card, they bunker, makes it hard to break them down. You leave yourself open and scores against, get scored against. Uh, the second game for the U-17s, they took it on the chin against Columbus 3-1. to one. The U-16s, as I mentioned, both were friendlies. Uh, they did lose against Cincinnati, though Cincinnati did put out a mixed age group with some players as old as perhaps 20. Uh, May seem unfair, but it's very good training for the academy kids to go out and play against uh, bigger, older players. Yeah. And don't
2: quote me on this, but I believe that their game in Columbus for the U16s was actually a competitive game,
0: and they won that one 4-0. Yeah, they uh, really destroyed them. Uh again, Jackson Delkus, the informed striker for the U sixteens, a name that uh keeps showing up on the score sheet every week. See how he goes and how he develops. But right now, Jackson Delkus seems to be a name to watch. He's with the U sixteens. Uh let's see how that goes. He he's so far he's showing extremely well in these matches.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely some bright spots. But uh Ohio may be for lovers, but uh Not a lot of love in Ohio for the Academy, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's Ohioans that say they're made for lovers, so there's that as well. Other St. Louis City news is uh, they did announce today that they're going to also, they have the plans in development, they're going to add a four-story parking garage across from the stadium. Uh, It's going to have vendor spots on street level. The doors for these vendor spots will open up. Either for, uh, you know, a substantial uh retail spots there that are sustainable, or for pop up vending. So it'll give shelter that way. It will also have a canopy for events. You know, there's shield for the sun or the rain, on that for game days as well. They will also have uh, charging spots for electric cars and a healthy supply of uh, parking spaces for people that want to bicycle into the game. Of course, us from uh, Southern Illinois, that's not an option for us. Uh, and Sean's usually out in West County. You're going to be bicycling into the game there, Sean?
1: I wouldn't put it past myself to try it. It's only, <laughs> it's, only, what, like, it's only like, what, an hour-long bike ride? I could easily do that.
0: Oh, it's half of what ours would be. You can do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it'd be the bike ride home that would be the problem. That's for sure.
0: That's the problem, right. <laughs> I agree with you there. And uh also with that, uh next week is going to start the uh the emails will be coming out for those that put their deposit down for supporter section tickets. Very exciting. So we're looking forward to that. And uh also, the big news coming up is this Saturday at Second Shift Brewery in St. Louis. The St. Luligan supporters group will have their meet and greet costume party. They call it the full kit wanker party. It's a long tradition with them. If you are one of those people that have a full soccer kit for a club, wear it, wear a costume. Uh, We all plan on being there, actually looking very forward to this. We had a lot of fun at the last one that they had. Uh, I myself am a little beyond the age to where I feel like I need to you know, put on a costume. Some people would say that my normal everyday wear looks like a costume anyway. Uh, But uh, we do encourage everyone to come out. It's a great time. Everyone's friendly. And uh, I hope that uh, you come up and greet us. Just look for the old man in the silly hat and you'll probably find it pretty quickly. But we're all planning to be there. It starts at 6 p.m. It's Second Shift Brewery. My understanding is that they're going to be uh, putting out a special brew and debuting it on the night of the meet and greet as well.
2: Ooh, very excited for that then. Yeah. Um but yeah, I know you're going to have your silly hat. I'm I don't have the full kit, so uh I will instead be coming in my punk attire as opposed to what I typically wear, which is most of my punk attire but with a club t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Sean, uh I imagine I think uh you're going to be coming in some sort of full kit, right?
1: Uh you could say that. Um, it's going to be pretty obvious who I am. We'll, we'll be completely honest about that in one way or another. But
0: There's it's going to be a Where's Waldo.
1: <laughs> Listen closely to the past episodes, kiddos. I may or may not have given you a big old hint about
2: it. There may even be one at the end of
0: this one. <laughs> Perhaps. But <laughs> well, we're looking forward to that Saturday night. We hope to see you. Just come up and shake our hands. It's a very friendly affair. Shake everybody's hands. Say hi to everyone, especially if it's your first time. Yeah. Make sure you wash your hands before and
2: after though cuz we do still have the Rony around.
0: And wear your mask. Rice brownie, the San Francisco treat? Oh, and <laughs> No, the, the bad one. <laughs> oh, the other one. Okay. And yes, masks. Masks will probably be necessary, though I haven't heard word on that. I'm assuming, I'm assuming
2: so. So. that they'll be mandatory, mandatory. They were mandatory at the last one. And I, as far as I know, St. Louis still has a mandatory mask mandate.
0: So, OK, well, uh, enough of that jocularity. It's uh, time to go ahead and move on to, well, at first, better things. U.S. men's national team uh, opened up the second window of World Cup qualifying the fourth game of the octagonal, as it's called, with the eight teams vying for the final three places in World Cup qualifying. And this time, the U.S. got to host Jamaica. They're not very good hosts as the U.S. won 2-0 in a game in which the U.S. actually kind of flexed some muscle in this one, though not necessarily in the first half. But they came out, they were lively, they were dangerous. Uh, They showed that quote unquote verticality that Burhalter talked about leading into the game. Uh they were putting Jamaica under a lot of pressure from the very start of the game. And uh it turned out pretty well.
2: Yeah, that was a good game. Um not to foreshadow too much here, but uh this is the only good game we'll be talking about. <laughs> but this was a good game. I was really, really happy to see the performance we got out of the got out of the guys. Um, yeah, in the first half, there wasn't a lot of, um, like, well, there weren't any goals, but there was a decent amount of attacking pressure. That system of verticality that Burhalter wanted worked. Um, the philosophy was kind of shown to work because instead of in the previous window where they would do these long crosses and then just kind of slam right into the defense and have to just kind of like break through it, they were able to. Penet- like, penetrated on runs, get in, um, it was a lot more successful.
0: Yeah, the, uh, there was a lot of good looks. Not all of them actually paid off, but they were looking forward. They were advancing. They were trying things. And uh, in this game, uh, Weston McKinney was allowed back into the fold, and he did get a start. Uh, Eunice Musa did start, was very good in this game. And uh, Ricardo Pepe, El Train. Gets a start as well, and uh, again, like uh, the last game uh, against Honduras, the first half he was quiet. The second half, he got a brace.
1: Yeah. Um. Just before we move on to that second half, I would like to point out that uh, it <clears throat> early in the game, my no- what I noticed was it seemed like it was the teams were trying to get into their form, but it really uh, seemed really disjointed. But we saw signs of what we had been hearing about from Burhalter for so long about this verticality and the lively play, but uh, it, it wasn't there just yet. Although I was very excited to see Pepe get the start and Musa getting the run out, good for him too. But the biggest thing is, and, and I know we're going to end up harping on this hardcore in the end, VAR. How can we have it during the Gold Cup? and in the Nations League, but we don't get it in World Cup qualifying. Arguably the more important of the competitions, and there was at least two chances where VAR should have been used, and it wasn't because we didn't have it.
0: Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Uh, well, the official CONCACAF thing on this is that uh, many of the uh, locations or, as they call it, members of the region or whatever their wording is, uh, don't have the facilities to support VAR. One thing about the Gold Cup and the Leagues Cup as well, all those were hosted on U.S. soil. That has something to do with it. Um, yeah,
2: like the, the venues for some of the host nations were, or not host nations, um, competing, competing nations, did not have the facilities for VAR. And so it was just not used across the board, which I get that. My opinion on this, though, is that in that case, CONCACAF has a responsibility to to go in and make sure that VAR is installed in, this, in, the, in those venues so that it Thank can you. be used tournament wide.
0: Now, I have an alternate opinion that I've seen floated out as well, that uh, some of these members in this octagonal perhaps don't want VAR. You can't get concacaf if Big Brother's watching you all the time. Uh, just as we saw in the first minute of that game against Jamaica with a long outlet. I don't remember who did. I believe it was Pepe, but out to Areola, attacking, heading towards the 18-yard box, and just gets taken out on the play. Gets dog Yeah. dogs out. Uh, it's in the first minute of the game. I see reluctance for any referee in the world to not call a red card in the first minute of a game. Uh, it was pretty clear and obvious. I think if there was VAR, they would have given it, but it is Kafka so yeah. can't say for certain. Uh, but there's a little another take on this one. Uh, if they had gotten the red card in the first minute, Jamaica would have bunkered in, not has been as open, the game would have changed completely, and uh, maybe the U.S. would have had a little harder time going at Jamaica in this game.
2: Sure, that's fine. I do want to loop around though to what you said about some of these some of these uh, member nations don't want VAR, and to that I kind of say tough cookies. Um, CONCACAF can say, all right, either you take VAR or you don't compete. That's a pretty, that's a tough pill to swallow. But I think, imag- I imagine that a lot of these teams are going to want to compete over not having VAR in in
0: this one venue that they're going to be hosting it in. Well, that would be the reason we'll take. But the other one is, it's CONCACAF. Uh, they think that the U.S. and Mexico already have unbelievable advantages. Uh, and uh, they CONCACAF has to cover the entire region. None of those places want to try to level that playing field.
1: Well, I'm just saying if if we're talking I don't want to make this whole thing about VAR I just wanted to bring it up because I know it is a point of contention but maybe, maybe just maybe if we enforce and make sure they have to have VAR maybe they'll have to up their game a little bit. It's going to change CONCACAF instrumentally and it's not going to be as concacaffy or you could look at it the other way and it's going to be even more concaffy where you know you get even more hotel screw screwiness and whatnot but it may just up the game a little bit and then make us a little bit more competitive with say the Englands of the world or the Germanys back in the day or Spain back when they had that 35 and0 run you know it could be really good for our comp or our confederation if they just say you don't want it fine you don't compete i i agree with mason on this one i think that's the way we got to go i well, think
2: it i think it's harsh but i think it's necessary var is a very important tool that we have access to it should be used
0: i don't disagree with your point but concacaf is in these regions under fifa you know you vote on a lot of these things the heads of concacaf really want to kind of make it not so much a laughing stock but having var uh perhaps some of these other countries just don't care about concacaf being a laughing stock because it doesn't affect them that much uh you know if they get to the world cup they concacaf their way into qualifying and getting to the world cup they generally to have a poor showing so all they're trying to do is just up their game they don't want to invest if CONCACAF was serious about this though CONCACAF would install the infrastructure in all these stadiums but that's a hard thing to do that's usually permanent you know infrastructure within the stadiums to support all these cameras that in a lot of these places those buildings were built way you know much older back in time. Now, the question is, there's some like in Costa Rica and in El Salvador that have brand new stadiums Did they build in the infrastructure, even though VAR had already been in effect for about 10 years, uh, or at least uh, posited. But that's not our discussion. That's enough about VAR and CONCACAF. Though, anytime you're doing World Cup qualifiers in this region, there's going to be discussions about how CONCACAF is running it.
2: Uh, I don't think that three dumbasses from the Midwest is really going to change anybody at CONCACAF's mind about this
1: anyway. <laughs>
2: Definitely not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't have enough money to buy a apartment for their cats, so I don't <laughs> think. So. Uh, but perhaps something they could work on is, you know, they try to blood in new referees. The referee for the Jamaica game was from Guyana. He has probably never, well, he's certainly never officiated with VAR he's probably never seen a game at this level with that pace and the size of the players it and was in fact the his game.
1: first world cup qualifying match I made note he of that before the game
0: completely completely out of his element in the whole game on that uh, areola call he ran to the side judge for help there's no VAR there to help him that's what VAR is supposed to but do but that's also what the, the that's officials. what
1: the side judges are for they're there to help the center ref get it right, it, at least that's what they were originally for. So, I mean, he made the right decision in doing so, but he made the wrong call in the end.
0: But then you go to the 32nd minute when there was another...
2: Another dog, though.
0: Uh, perhaps. This I one was a little less
2: clear-cut. I think it was. Mike doesn't, but... I also either think way, was. Another, another, another point where VAR would
0: have probably come into effect um basically the ball is forwarded to uh aronson he's just outside the box there is a tackle challenge debatable and no var debatable whether the jamaican player who i name escapes me uh got to the ball first or not but the big question here is didn't call it as dog so as a red card for denial of obvious goal scoring opportunity but they call a foul If you call a foul on that play, then it does become a denial of obvious goal-scoring opportunity. And he ran to the side judge for that to get help on that decision, which seemed to be the type that would come from committee. But besides all that, uh, again, if Jamaica had gotten the red card and went a man down there, it's still nil-nil, then they would have bunkered and the U.S. would have had you know, more trouble in the game. Uh, They never did score in the first half. Uh, Looked bright, looked energetic, looked very dangerous, but just couldn't get the final pass into the box or make the connection or hit the woodwork or whatnot. There was a lot of whatnot in that first half, kind of like the El Salvador game where the U.S. had a lot of whatnot but couldn't get the ball in the net. So they go four minutes into the second half. That all changes. It all Happy changed. Happy l baby. But first of all, it starts with uh, Matt Turner uh, throwing the ball out from the back in a great bit of distribution that he's obviously been working on because that's his weak spot. Gets it out to Eunice Musa, finds himself in space in the midfield, and just dribbles up the field. Just keeps going and going and going. Uh, you see Serginho Dest on the out, gets the ball on the outside, gets the ball out to him. He puts the cross in. Finds uh, Ricardo Pepe, who puts in a very nice header. The ball was a little behind him. He had to do some work there. No doubt about it. Puts it in. And uh, it was a great goal. Great team goal. And that's an 18-year-old to a 20-year-old to an 18-year-old to complete the sequence. Yeah.
2: Not a lot of the U.S.'s goals have been pretty. That one was gorgeous.
0: Oh. It was chef's absolutely. Yeah. Bellissima. Love to see it. And uh, one big part of this was uh, Paul Areola, who of course is goal adjacent, uh, made a fantastic run on the outside, back in towards the near post, open space on the outside for Des to get that ball, have the clearance to put the cross in right on, well, not quite right on Pepe's head, but in his general direction, Pepe did the rest. Very nice. That's what we want to see from this team. Very good teamwork on that. Because Pepe was pretty
2: much wide open when that cross came in. It was...
0: You can't can't script it any better than that. And uh, the rest of the story is, there was another goal later in the game. Ricardo Pepe gets a goal in the 62nd minute. Gets rewarded with some rest in the 68th. And from there, the U.S. just cruised to the victory. It was really not in doubt. Jamaica had a couple of instances, but they really seemed out of sorts. They... They look so much better in the Gold Cup than they do now. They're really in flux. They seem to be disjointed. Uh, but the U.S. took advantage of them. You win the what's in front of you. Looked better. Didn't look great. Looked a lot better. Looked like we expect. They had urgency, intensity, started from the get-go of the game. Kept putting pressure on, never let off. That's what we want to see. That's what wins games in World Cup qualify. They looked great adjacent. <laughs> Ariola and Aronson were running all over the place. They were great. Musa was very good in the midfield. Uh, Dest was good. Didn't ask a lot of him on uh, the defensive end, so he likes these kind of games where the US has possession better than when they are more in uh more where the other team is coming at him defensively. And uh Also, when uh, Pepe went out, Aronson went out, uh, Tim Weah came in. He came on against the tired legs of Jamaica. He looked outstanding in that role coming into this game. So the U.S. gets a clean sheet and uh, get all excited. After the game, Berhalter is talking about keep the intensity up. If you think you're going to come back feeling good from this game, you're going to waltz into Panama and beat them. Uh, You're going to get your asses kicked. Well,
1: guess what happened?
0: On Sunday in Panama, that's what happened. Berhalter makes seven changes to the lineup, heavy rotation. Uh, midfield, he has, there's no Tyler Adams. He's got Acosta playing the six. Acosta showed over the summer. Acosta had become absolutely the backup to Adams at the six that uh, everyone was wondering about. Sebastian Leggett, longtime good performers out there, veteran, been through some of these games, Acosta as well, in midfield, along with Eunice Musa. Ariola gets another run out after running his legs off in the Jamaica game, a little bit of a surprise. Timothy Weah, after his good showing, gets a start on the wing. Uh, Giasi Zardes comes in and starts up front. Everybody wants Pepe, but Pepe plays all the minutes for FC Dallas. You've got to give him a rest. you got to give everybody a rest. Miles Robinson played all the minutes in the first window. He gets a break. Mark McKenzie comes in. Walker Zimmerman's the captain. Turner's in the goal. And on the wing, you've got... Who did play on the wing? Check notes. I forget. George Bello came out. And... It was Shaq
1: Moore and Bello on the wing for D.
0: Shaq Moore. Shaq Moore. Shaq Moore, who's played 60 minutes for his club team this year. Desk gets a re- Everybody's getting a rest. Still, you look at it, you could sit there and go, these guys have performed. They performed at the international level. They performed against Mexico. Uh, so you think, okay, it's the road game in the middle of this. It's the least important this team should certainly at least get a draw out of this game. They come out flat. They come out and they can't connect passes. They can't, their first touches are, I put on Twitter, it seems like they're wearing concrete shoes. Panama is a team that went to the last World Cup. They're very experienced, lots of caps. It seemed like they came out with intensity fired up, and what it looked like to me was they came out with an intensity that the American team wasn't expecting from them. They got punched in the face, lost their composure, and never, ever got it back.
2: Hey, oh, you cross us again. We're going to put you in concrete shoes, drop you on a Panama
0: football field. How's that sound?
1: Yeah, we put ourselves in the concrete shoes.
0: Yeah. Uh, Panama's not really a pushover. I heard something interesting in since the game that uh, since basically 2014 with the San Suzy game, where Graham Zuzi scored the goal and stoppage time to knock Panama out and give Mexico a lifeline uh, and save their butts, uh, they went in through the fourth round of intercontinental uh, playoffs to get in that World Cup. Panama hasn't lost a game at home, no matter who they're playing. So they're a tough competition at home. But the environment... Is not nasty like some of the other places in cocky calf. The pitch was a little slow, but didn't seem to be too bad. And But who could have ever foresaw that Kellen Acosta and Sebastian Legette would be so shockingly, shockingly poor? They couldn't pass the ball. They couldn't put touches on the ball. Many times it looked like they were hiding from the ball. This is not what you expect. This is not what anyone expected. And once that started happening, Panama realized it, got in the game, started getting the ball off of the feet. Musa had moments where he dribbled into situations, and it just got taken away from him. And it seemed like the players, it was a quicksand game. They started playing in quicksand. The harder they fought to get back into it, the worse everything got like a black hole of despair so listless no intensity no urgency and eventually at the end there was no never quit sort of attitude from this team team uh panama for everything they had and as bad as the u.s looked they got one goal off a set piece throughout the game they just sort of Kicked the ball at Turner. I don't know if they were attacking Matt Turner on these, if they were attacking Zonal Marking, or they just thought, just get the ball in front of the box and see what happens into the mixer. In the second half, they got one into the box, into the mixer. Annabelle Godoya of Nashville SC gets a header on it. Zardes is there in front of Turner, hits him, goes in the goal. Panama's up 1-0. And you think... Okay, this is where the US can come back out and make the subs and change the game and run at Panama. Burhalter makes subs. Musa came off in the first half, planned sub. Aronson uh, came in, looked like a planned sub for Wayne. Uh, then when he in the sixtieth minute or so makes his subs, he doesn't he doesn't take off Acosta or Leggett. he moves Acosta to the eight up higher in the midfield where he has never really performed very well at all for the USMNT. Legette's still on there. Roldan comes in. Pepe comes in. I don't know why Pepe came in. If you can't get the ball past midfield, what good does a forward do? And it was still the same thing, just bad passes. Roldan's doing verticality. He's booting the ball upfield. Nobody's running onto it nobody's making a run nobody's moving nobody is it looked like they desperately weren't trying it was as dismal a showing as i've ever seen uh, from a u.s team uh didn't see the game in kuvo i was working that night and didn't bother to re-watch it but this was listless limpid and it makes you wonder what's going on you can make things about Burhalter doing the rotation but as we already mentioned, teams in the first window that didn't do a rotation in a three-game window, which, of course, has never been done before, so there's we're now gaining the data on that, it, teams that don't rotate just lose the third game. We can't lose the third game in this window. It's at home. This is the game that you trade off. Injuries, I bet McKinney would have been in there, uh, perhaps for Legette in this game, but he got injured. And they decide not to take the risk on him. Uh, but you just don't expect the players that you've counted on all summer to just be shockingly, shockingly bad to hold the team back. It's almost like the ball couldn't get out of midfield the, over and over and over and over again. The passes were sloppy. The touches were terrible. And the whole team just got sucked into it. Even Matt Turner looked shaky on a few things uh, even before the goal went in uh can't really blame blame too much on the front three they didn't perform too well but the ball's never getting to them what what do you do drop in the midfield i, I don't know it, it, it this one burhalter could have made other changes could have gotten acosta and lagette off but it really this one's on the players this one's on the players it was Terrible. And despite all that, it took a fluke goal for Panama to score, but it happened and there was no answer. There was no answer before, no answer afterwards. It was terrible. I know uh, Mason and Sean just couldn't see this game because of their commitments. Boy, you guys were lucky. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, before we recorded earlier today, we were talking off air. Do we even want to watch Match recap for this because it sounds like it was just awful. I, I know I opted to not do that, I think Sean
0: did as well. Because, yeah,
2: why would we willingly subject ourselves to that when we know yeah. what we're walking into? Let me
0: do a five minute rant and that covers the game, yeah. On this, uh, one thing we we know that there was a lot of players out in this game that uh perhaps Berhalter could have used, uh, I mean. You can go through the list. Uh, Anthony Robinson couldn't take the trip. Uh, Zach Steffen couldn't have made the trip. Don't know if that would have changed anything because of the COVID restrictions. McKinney was out. Des they held back. Uh, you got Pulisic and Reina out. Uh, Ariola ran his legs off. Aronson, uh, supposedly after the Jamaica game, couldn't even hardly make it up to the podium because he said his legs were jelly. Why is Areola in there? Why didn't he replace Acosta and Leggett uh, completely out? Bring in Luca Della Torre, bring in Busio. bring in somebody because these guys were they were killing. I don't know if they were the answer, I don't know if there were any answers to be honest. I don't know, it, it, it really, but what was out there clearly didn't work and this. It, it, Taylor Rockwell on Total Soccer Show called it sort of like a black hole of despair. And even when the subs came on, they just got sucked into that vortex of despair as well. Tyler Adams came on and was lively in the first few minutes of the second half, and there was a couple of chances there. But then he's the one to track back, got the ball, instead of playing it safe, somehow knocked it out over the goal line, off his shin for the corner that eventually gave Panama the goal. Musa was pretty good but he kept getting just picked off by Panama players straight up. And then the US went to direct play, kicking the ball up the field. The ball bounces off someone. US nobody was there to get the ball. It it it, it just is one of those games. The good thing about it is a lot of the eight, the best players on this team are going to be ready for Costa Rica at home on Wednesday night, the night that this podcast drops, uh, tomorrow from when we're recording. I I know you guys didn't see, do you have anything to add to this? There isn't much. One thing I want to say is
2: this was, like, chances were very slim we were going to get through World Cup qualifying without a loss. Um, It sounds like this one was particularly brutal, but... At some point, you got to get that Band-Aid ripped off, right? But that's not much of a silver lining, right?
0: No, it isn't. But one thing about this team this squad is there isn't any old veteran leadership. Somewhere in soccer development in this country, a whole generation was skipped. In other words, there's nobody that you can put out there that has 50 caps, uh, still was leader had started there just was none of those people here at this game John Brooks isn't here Tim Ream isn't here there's just a lot of that there was and it showed on the field no veteran leadership
1: and I definitely think part of that is the fact uh, not to like blame the past too much but if you look at it the previous couple of coaches I'm not necessarily naming names but they relied too heavily on what a lot of people are looking at as the quote-unquote golden generation that we had back when we had Altidore, we had Dempsey, we had Donovan. And then you had those guys that tried to jump in, like, heck, even Breck Shea. That's a name that a lot of people haven't heard in forever. But guys still, you know, playing top top level in MLS. But when was the last time he got called up? He would be in that in-between... Generation, your mixed disco roots the guys that were supposed to be the next big thing, and they just whatever happened, they didn't stick around, and I want to know why. But you're right; it's it's almost as if there was a generation that got skipped, and now these young guns are trying to come in and fill that gap while also filling the shoes of the Donovans, the Dempsey's the Altadors, and even to go even further back, the Oguchi Oneguws, and that's just. At some point, you have to think that's too big of an ask in one cycle for them to do it. And I think they're doing their best. But as we said off air, it just happens sometimes where you can put out your team and they just just lay the egg. And there's nothing we can say or do about it.
0: Tip your cap, call him your daddy, and you move on to the next game is what it does. Now, one thing I have to say about the old veterans like Donovan, Dempsey... On who Bradley, they will tell you that they built themselves up because they had other people around them that they could lean on. In other words, you blooded in the youngsters slowly, got them a chance to grow. This team has no chance to grow. Berhalter's been there three years. Some of his key players haven't even been available in the pool for a year and a half. There's no chance to really read these in. They keep coming. Uh, Joe Scali will probably come in the next window or two. He's 18. Uh, Matthew Hoppy came out of nowhere. They're all so young. They got to learn. Learn the hard way. Good news is, uh, moving on from this mess, the good news is they get to play uh, Costa Rica Wednesday night. Costa Rica hasn't done any generational change either. Joel Campbell, once of Arsenal for a long time, long time more than you'd think. Um, He's out. Uh, They've got another player out and they replaced him with a 39-year-old and a 37-year-old. So they bring a lot of experience, but they're also bringing 39-year-old and 37-year-old legs. Costa Rica hasn't done it. They haven't performed well. We know what they're going to do they're going to do what Costa Rica always does. Five in the back line, pretty much four in the midfield and bunker down and kill you on the break and take advantage of your mistakes. But you got to move the ball faster. You got to have good touches. The team that was on the field against Panama did not do that. The team that was on the field against Jamaica did do it. Uh, Get three points out of here, six. U.S. is still second in the octagonal behind Mexico. Jamaica got that draw at the Azteca in Mexico. Then Drew had a nil-nil limp draw at home against Jamaica, so they didn't take advantage of this. Panama against up. Jamaica? Oh, Canada against Jamaica. Uh, they didn't do it. Uh, Panama's the big winner out of this because they got three points instead of one. The U.S. is still okay, but you got to win this next game against Costa Rica, and you got to show us that the team is ready to fight and win, then bring intensity and urgency and verticality. Uh,
2: Big question, I think, going into this is gonna be: is the performance we saw against Jamaica a sign of of progress in philosophy of uh, uh, of like skill, or was it a fluke? I know which one I would prefer, but it's
0: kind of stands to be seen. Uh, it's. As they say on Total Soccer Show, both things can be right at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably good to get a backhand upside the face because the way they played looked like, despite what Berhalter has said to them publicly throughout all this, they did look like a team thought they'd just waltz out and win. And they got what was coming to them. Anything else to add on this topic? Because I'd like to move on to some other things.
2: I got nothing. No, it just sounds like a bummer of a game. I'm almost glad I didn't see it.
0: I've got a lot more to say, but I'm pretty positive. So I really not like to dwell on the negative. We'll find out, uh, as we're recording on Tuesday, we'll find out tomorrow night on Wednesday at home against Costa Rica. I expect them to come out full of uh, uh, thunder and fury. Hopefully it doesn't signify nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hoping to. So, after all of that fun, let's go on to MLS. Because St. Louis City's going to play in MLS. We might as well start paying attention to what we're going to be involved in. Uh, this is also time for our weekly Sporting KC Moment with Sean Campbell. Because we know a lot of people are out, you, are out there like Sean who, while St. Louis couldn't somehow get a team together to get their own franchise, they latched on to Sporting KC. Sean, what do you got for this week? Because Sporting didn't play, and Busio didn't play. Or Is there news out there for Sporting this week?
1: Well, unfortunately, I, I feel like I've just been a real downer the last couple weeks. Um, we, uh, we lost another very important member of the Cauldron this week, uh, Mr. Patrick Big Pat Irvin passed away um, was one of the mo- most wonderful big lover of the fan big lover of the game fans that you could ever find uh, he helped a lot of people really start their own independent supporters groups within the cauldron um, I just want us to remember him and and his contributions to the sport and to the supporter section uh, so rest in peace big Pat
2: that's yeah. That's really sad to sad to hear. I'm sorry to hear that, and my condolences to his friends, family, and the Cauldron.
0: It's close to home for me because our deposits in for the supporters section. I'm not exactly a young pup. Uh, yeah, I sure know, hope we don't have to do it in memoriam for you anytime soon. Well, you'd probably be happier to do that than if you never ever had to. <laughs> But uh, (laughs) starting the GoFundMe to give Mike eternal life. (laughs) I will be in that supporter section as long as I possibly can. That's all I got to say.
1: And we appreciate you for it.
0: I thank you for that. Uh, Other news around Sporting KC. There was a player that was caught up in a betting scandal. uh, Wasn't there?
1: Yeah. um, We had a player... Uh Felipe Hernandez, he was out for several months, out since July, and up until very recently, it was just listed as personal reasons. And uh recently came out that he has gone into therapy for his his gambling habits. He was he bet on a couple of MLS games. No sporting case he was not involved in either of the matches he bet on. But I I definitely think that it was handled with Absolute class by the organization, making sure that, you know, this wasn't going to distract from the game or put him in any sort of harm's way while he tried to better himself and get to a point where he could go back to the game and not have to worry about it. Um, he has since put out a statement in, you know, saying stating his regret and that he is seeking help and he was recently suspended officially by the league. But it's he's trying to better himself and come back to the game. And that, that much I appreciate about him.
0: Yeah. There's so much gambling out there and it's becoming more prevalent. It happens. It's happened throughout the history of sport, uh, in any sport. Uh, but I was really struck by the classy way that Peter, Peter Vermees and the organization handled this by taking care of the player, doing the treatment, you know, how this affects his career going on is not important in this moment. Let's focus on the individual getting the help he needs. Uh, very classy. Very good to hear.
2: Yeah, it also sounds like it was handled a lot better than like with Evander Kane uh, in with in the NHL with the San Jose Sharks because that has been a. Mess. At least you said it, not
1: me. I wasn't going to say it, but you said it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's not a lot of other MLS news this week because uh, MLS still uh, insists on playing games during official FIFA windows, and uh, there was four games this week during the window. Unfortunately, two of the teams, Inter-Miami and the Seattle Sounders, had to file for hardship roster exemptions to bring players in from, say, USL teams just to fill out a competitive roster because they lost so much to international losses and to injury. That's 25%. One quarter of the teams that played during this week, during this window, had to file for hardship because they couldn't field enough players. That's ridiculous. But a couple of things that came out of this week, Seattle Sounders played the rather red-hot Vancouver Whitecaps playing above their head.
2: Cascadia Cup!
0: Uh, that's right. And uh, Seattle was without Nicholas Ladero, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Nuhu rolled on, rolled on, both Alex and Christian. The brothers rolled on. And Brad Smith got hurt, not to mention Jordan Morris. Brian White scored for Vancouver again as he's red hot. The Sounders won 4 1, clinched their first 13th consecutive playoff appearance in MLS. That's in their 13 years of being in MLS.
2: Man, I don't really have that much against the Sounders, but it sounds like they need to be taken down a peg. <laughs> um, um, if I may just
1: interject here for a moment, we all need to collectively come together. And if nothing else from that game, we need to recognize the fact that we had a St. Louisan score in this game. Uh, One Will oh, top Bruin. Shelf
0: Will Bruin.
1: With a beauty of a top oh. shelf. Water bottle knocker. Just, oh. And you know what prides me even more? He went to my good old alma mater, D-Smut!
2: Woo! Sorry. <laughs> we are not getting into St. Louis <laughs> high school discourse on this podcast. I will not allow it. I just it. had to mention it. I, I just know, had to mention so, it. No.
0: <laughs> but yeah, a hometown boy. Love to see hey, it. Hey, uh, and it's something about the Sounders culture is the fact that Will Bruin uh, has really worked hard for this team. The last time he scored the, at the end of the game, Schmetzer goes, the biggest thing I take away from this game is Will Bruin deserved that goal. He's worked so hard and given so much up. They've got the talent, but somehow keep players like him, uh, Bez, uh, what's his name, Benizet. that they got for basically nothing, scored a goal. And then did a little twerk on the sidelines, which I didn't need to see. <laughs> uh, Shane O'Neal, yeah, let him journeyman. Him. Got a goal in this game. Uh, it's just something in the culture. It's just next man up. Not to be said about the next team we're going to talk about, which is FC Cincinnati. Was playing the Philadelphia Union, fighting for their you know existence in any sort of playoff race, and well, they fulfilled their destiny for the third straight year and in three MLS seasons, they are officially em- eliminated from playoff discussion. Womp womp. Yeah. Minnesota, the team that uh, the Sounders beat in the Western Conference Finals last year with a miracle finish in the last, what, 10, 15 minutes to go to MLS Cup. Uh, they played the Colorado Rapids. The Rapids went down to 10 men, and the Loons still happened to lose the 1-0 to Colorado in this. Minnesota's in seventh, and... They're just not kicking on. Uh, something's just not clicking with that team. Don't know. It's all I got.
1: It either clicks or it doesn't for them, and it seems like more often than not, they've been not clicking when they should be.
0: Yeah. Uh, Too much Minnesota nice in the locker room. <laughs> we after a long time of uh, after a long time on this podcast about talking bad about inner Miami, they got a little run. We said something about them that was pretty much the end of their run. One team we haven't mentioned, but we will now that's on a run is the New York Red Bulls as they beat inter Miami one nil. They're suddenly playing much better. They're coming out of nowhere. And with an Eastern conference as compact, let's say, uh, the Red Bulls suddenly actually still are in the conversation for a playoff berth because they come cheap and easy in MLS. Uh, But the team to keep an eye on. Right now, they're the hot team coming down to the final few weeks of the season.
1: Unbeaten in their last six, and they're only three points out of a playoff spot.
0: Yeah. See, you got Hmm.
2: Good makings for a Cinderella run,
0: maybe. It's great for fan bases that your team's never out of it in MLS, but your team's never out of it in MLS unless you're a Cincinnati fan. Ooh.
1: Or if you live in Texas and or root for a team in Texas. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well give austin a couple
2: of years to find their feet and then we'll say all you Texas know what you know what bad. hot take
1: hot <laughs> take here st louis city sc wins the mls cup before austin fc does i'm saying it
2: Ooh,
0: and hmm. you... we're starting rivalries <laughs> huh i'm not starting no rivalry i'm just making a hot take there you go speaking of uh unexpected rivalries uh the, the beef that you started on Twitter with our next topic, Charlotte FC. Ah, ah. Yeah, uh, and, and they're they're coming hard and fast on Twitter with their fans coming at St. Louis SC. And it's all your fault. It's
1: all your fault. I don't think it's, it's all, all your all fault. Your fault.
0: No, blame me. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> blame us. It gives us power. But they also keep, uh you know, uh, packing the powder into the uh, musket so we could fire the balls at them because they announced that uh, they're going to have a reality series and have a competition through that venue to fill a roster spot on their team. Okay, so I hadn't heard about this, and when I read the notes, it was a little unclear. You're talking about like a reality TV show, right? Yeah, but this is not new. Uh, It was called uh, Sueno, I believe. Uh, Jorge Villeneuve plays for the LA Galaxy Won that competition, got a roster spot, still is playing in MLS after all these years, and actually has caps with the national team. Uh, It's a silly idea. It's strange. But strangely, I've got one thing to say in their point, is this. There is so many uh, ignored neighborhoods, components, groups of young players in this country that are seem to be just not scouted over because their parents can't pay to play in an academy. Maybe with the reality show, they find some kid somewhere that's been just passed over because of poverty and gets a chance. Uh, On that, I'll, I'll hold off. I'll hold off on calling them too silly on this one.
2: That sure would be nice if that happened because that's absolutely true in... All sports, really, Um, even even ones like uh, to like a lesser extent, you know, basketball and um, like, you know, soccer, because you just kind of need to pick up a ball and go to a park. But especially true in like hockey, football, baseball equipment's expensive. Buying that buying that league time is expensive. That's true. in uh, a lot of basketball and soccer leagues as well. Um, You're not getting like any like real competition play as a kid if you can't afford it and it's a big problem it's been recognized especially by the nhl they recognize our sports really expensive to get into and they've tried to do things to try to mitigate that i don't know if a reality tv series is really the (laughs) gonna be the the avenue that mitigates that for for soccer but i guess that stands to be seen
0: and in some of the other sports i can't say so much about hockey at least you can come up through your high school and that route, but in soccer, you pretty much have to start on this training at the age of 12 or 13.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. It's some of these sports, they're better supported in high school than, than some of the other ones. Um, but on the reality show point, it's, it may not be what we want it to be. It may not be the best way to do things, but it's a start. And if nothing else, if this works out in enough markets, even if it's in the smaller markets, who knows? Maybe people will start broadening their, their scouting. They might start looking at, you know, instead of the people that grow up playing Gallagher since they were, you know, eight years old. Instead of scouting those kids, they'll start scouting CYC out here in the West County, you know? Because there were a couple of kids that I grew up with playing with in grade school that I think were absolutely fantastic but were they scouted? No. No they weren't. And they ended up not playing in high school because of whatever reason, but if this if they kept with it on their own and ended up keeping up training and doing well enough that they're playing in places that aren't on the radar, this is at least a a start. And I like that it's a start. But we need proof of concept before it becomes a real
0: deal. Yeah, and more than a one off from 10 12 years exactly. ago. Exactly. With El Sueno yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, one, the biggest problem with all this is soccer is not a huge sport in this country. Uh, it's a nouveau sport. There's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of money to hire scouts out there to cover the country. There aren't a lot of qualified scouts to cover the country. And then the biggest factor is, man, if you're judging us against Europe, this country alone is the size of the entirety of europe that's a lot of ground to cover yeah that's the hard thing in this sport is it's really hard to cover it when it's not number one number two number three when it's the fifth or sixth sport in the country you're just not gonna have the infrastructure to find every eligible kid out there and that leaves us behind especially the smaller countries in europe or anywhere else that it's not a number one sport they're all playing they all play against each other what can you do? If fixing that's a hard problem, and I don't have any solutions, and apparently no one else does.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like an inherently silly idea on the face of it. Uh, it it literally comes from Dana White's, you know, fried-out fried, fried out brain, because they did this with UFC uh, to, get, to give fighters fight contracts. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, there's a chance... It could work out for some kind of positive benefit. I am hesitant, though, because um, I don't. I just got a bad feeling. It gives yeah. me bad vibes,
0: you know? Yeah, it's not a good look, but when you look at it as a fact that it might give someone a chance that doesn't have a chance otherwise, then, okay, I can find middle ground on it. Let's yeah. put it that way.
2: I certainly don't want to just write it off completely, which is what my gut reaction would have been. But I, yeah, it, it yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> it's a mess situation. Yeah.
0: Uh, thinking it's about time to start wrapping up the show. You guys got anything else to add?
1: Um, Outside of come find me, your hooligan Waldo on Saturday. I would be glad to meet any and all of you. That's about all I got. A- a-
0: every single one of you.
1: Yes. Yes, please. I hope I'm spending all night shaking hands and exchanging pleasantries. I would very much like it.
2: Absolutely. That goes for it goes for the both of us here too, me and Mike. Um one thing I want to say, they gave me a shout out, so I feel like I should do do the same here. Uh I recently started producing um my friend Chris Banditty's podcast Bio Breakdown, uh which is a series he does um interviewing some of his colleagues in um, the biology and science spaces. Um, so if you're interested, if that sounds interesting to you, if you're interested in learning more about science from actual scientists, uh, but from a little bit more of a layman's perspective, you can check that out. Uh, look it up on your favorite podcast provider.
0: I don't know how many other people are in that realm that might be interested, but actually I'm one of those people that would be. So also one last thing to add, please follow us on your podcast subscriber and rate and review. It really helps the show. So we're going to sign off. I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm
1: your resident Waldo hooligan, Sean Campbell.
0: <laughs> and we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.